What do you believe is the biggest mistake folks make when pricing their furniture? I think it's not um, paying themselves and undercharging. Mm. I know a lot of people that just get into the habit of throwing a random number out there when it comes to their piece. They don't take into consideration either all of the hard work that they put into it um, or the cost of the materials. Today on the Zebra Blogs Furniture Finishing Podcast, we're talking with Crystal Sutton of the Driftwood Home. Crystal is an accomplished furniture finisher, military airman, mom, and wife. She was our June 2018 featured artist on the Zebra Blog, and her work that we discussed today will be highlighted with the podcast symbol on that blog post. Stay tuned as we'll spend some time today learning more about Crystal and her insights on how to price your furniture pieces effectively. I'm your host, Lane Ball with Zebra. Hi, Crystal. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hey, Lane. Thanks for having me. Listen, I know our listeners are eager to learn more about you, so why don't you share a little bit about yourself? I am going to be 32 years old, and um, I'm from Texas originally, but being in the military, we've moved around quite a bit. My husband and I are both still serving in the Air Force, so we are considered active duty. Between the both of us, we have like 29 years of service, and we've been deployed a bunch of times. My husband's gone six times, I've gone four. So we've just been busy in the military, and I'm coming up here on my uh, 14th year. It's been quite a ride, but uh, I wouldn't be able to do what I do with the Driftwood Home if it wasn't for the Air Force. So I'm very fortunate to have the experience to continue serving my country while running a business um, at the same time and being able to see different parts of the world. Well, let me just say this, because I know from myself and our Zebra team that we want to thank you and your husband for your service and commitment to defend and protect our country. I mean, it's incredible responsibility. So we want to make sure that we never take our military service men and women for granted. So a huge thank you for to both of you. Well, it's an honor, really. I, I always get shy when people tell me that just because to me, I feel like I'm just doing my job. But, it, you know, I can see the appreciation in a lot of people's faces, especially those who, uh, you know, have had someone in their family pass away or, or, you know, maybe they know somebody overseas. So I'm always very appreciative of people who take the time to thank us. You know, we uh, sometimes some of the things we do is really a thankless job, but it's an honor to serve. So thanks. Well, now you mentioned earlier um, that you move a lot, but you moved recently. I think it's been within the year. Is that correct? Yeah, just shy of a year. Um, we moved here to the D.C. area in May of last year. But before that, we were in San Antonio. Um, and then before that, I was here in D.C. again. Then before that, I was in California. So I've, I've moved around quite a bit and had a, a few overseas tours in between that time. Well, so now tell us about how you got into furniture refinishing. Well, it, it all kind of started when we were expecting our son Noah. Um, about five years ago, it was sort of a high stress situation because it was unplanned and we were not prepared for uh, a baby. So one of the things on my checklist was to get furniture, but we didn't have the budget for that. So a lot of the furniture that we had was like hand-me-downs or stuff that was thrifted, things that were given to us. And I just remember like in the nesting phase of my pregnancy, just looking at all this mismatched furniture and thinking... I don't know that I can live with this. <laughs> so I I went to Target and I got some of their uh, paint off the shelf. 
And I just remember painting all these furniture pieces to look the same. I don't think my husband was prepared that I was going to do that. I think he thought maybe I was going to paint one thing. So he came home and saw that the entire nursery had been painted like <laughs> different color. I was happy with it because it was a corresponding nursery. And I just felt like, hey, I want my kid to be impressed when he comes in here. So now everything, <laughs> everything's matching and I feel really good about this nursery. So that's kind of how it all started. And then we, we just went over to painting different things in our house and then neighbors came over and they're like wow you painted that and I was like yeah they're like hey well I have this table can you paint this for me and so um, I just remember when this turned into a business for me and not so much a hobby anymore when I looked in my garage and it was just piles of furniture I was like I gotta do something about this this is not just a hobby anymore so I talked to my husband about it and he agreed, you know, as long as this didn't interfere with, first of all, our, our military duty or like anything else we had going on, he was totally cool with it. So mm -hmm. I just remember Googling all these answers, like, how do I start a business and things like that. And there, there's not a lot of information about how to start a furniture refinishing business out there. So it took me... I'd say a little over two years to like finally feel comfortable with calling it a full-fledged business. So uh, it was a stressful two years, but um, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, did you have an art background? Not at all. In fact, I think I'm like design challenged with some aspects of, of this. Um, like interior design is not my thing, but I can look at a piece of furniture and like have an instant like, vision of how I want it to look and then from there comes the staging and all of that so I have no artistic capabilities whatsoever other than when it comes to furniture refinishing <laughs> isn't that weird well yeah it is it's funny because you know when you think about um, the piece and the work that goes into the piece itself choosing colors do you do you paint the whole thing do you paint and then stain part of it and then also the staging part and of course um you do an excellent job. So it's neat to, to sort of uncover those talents and creative abilities that you didn't really know were there. And especially in a different type of area like furniture refinishing. Now, does your husband, you said your husband also helps, correct? Yes. Um, he does more of like the repair work and using like the big power tools that I don't feel comfortable with, with doing. Um, in fact, I think a couple of years ago, he ended up deploying. And so I was left alone to run the business by myself. And I just remember being so scared of like using a saw or, or a, like a drill or something. And I just sort of told myself, I, I have to figure out how to do this because, you know, my husband, Jake, he's not always going to be here. And, you know, business doesn't stop because Jake's deployed. So um, I found a way to make it work. I got over my fear of using the tools, but it's always more convenient when you have somebody there to help you with it so that I could focus on other things. Yeah. He's not very comfortable with being like in the spotlight as far as like doing the social media part. I do all of the painting, um, all of the staging, all of the photographing, editing, posting, everything. I do all of that. Um, he just sort of really helps me with the bare bones of, of the business. Well, now let me ask you a question. What part of the furniture finishing excites you the most? I think it's seeing 
how these pieces go from being out on somebody's curb to having just so many people just compliment you on what you've done with it. I like seeing the transformation, um, especially like upcycles when people like repurpose something and take it from being like, I don't know, scrap pieces of wood to now this coffee table. I think it's so creative what a lot of people are doing with that kind of material. And to me, that's exciting because everyone's finding a new purpose for something. A dresser is now an entryway piece. A buffet is now a console table. Mm-hmm. So to me, that I really appreciate the recycling aspect of it as well. Um, I'm in an area where there's a lot of antiques and a lot of good vintage furniture here. And I see so many people put these like perfectly good pieces out on the curb. And I am just, I get so excited every time I drive by and I'm like, yep, we're grabbing that. Like going out to an event, we're going out to eat. And then I see a piece of furniture on the curb. My husband always gets annoyed whenever we come home with a piece of furniture because I got to find a place for this now. And I'm like, Hey, that's, that's the beauty of the business. That's, it's funny because, you know, we live in the country and so it's rare for us anyway to drive by and see something out at the, at, at the end of a driveway. So when I, when I see and hear about it, I'm like, wow, that looks like incredible that you're like driving along and you find a piece that, you know, maybe it needs significant repairs, but it's still a piece that you can work with and make into a, you know, a beautiful furniture piece that you can turn around and sell. So that's great that you're, you're getting them. Uh, on the sides of curbs like that. That's that's uh, neat to hear that. Now, I know you have some really exciting news to share with us about an HGTV feature. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, a few months ago, HGTV magazine had contacted me about one of my pieces that they wanted to feature in their um, May 2019 edition. And that edition is actually Pops of Color, um, where they feature like these bright, bold colors or colors that aren't... Um, used very often or just currently trending and so they um asked to to use it it's it's my country chic piece in the color moonflower which was a limited edition color um and it's it's a very pretty color i mean it's it's like a bright bold pink and i put a glossy finish on it um and then the hardware is original to it uh so it just sort of like popped against the pink and it's one of those pieces that I think took me out of my comfort zone a little bit because I'm not used to doing like modern style or mid-century style pieces. Um, so I was I was really shocked that this was actually one of the, the pieces that HGTV had asked uh, to feature. So a few months went by, hadn't heard anything. And, and then one of my followers reached out to me and said, hey, congratulations on your feature. And I was shocked that it was already out. So um, I posted some snippets on my Instagram stories about it uh, yesterday. And I got so many um, messages and congratulations from people. I'm, I'm still sort of in disbelief about it. Oh, that's a fun surprise. And well, I'd like to ask you about a few of your pieces, Crystal. Let's discuss the English buffet you painted in general finish seagull gray. I understand this was a commission piece. Yes. So that was when I was living in San Antonio um, and I had a customer whose husband was also in the military and they had just moved here from England. So that piece actually came from England. She told me that they had it shipped over and she really liked the the bones of the piece, but it was just too dark and heavy for her home. So she had asked me, she actually entrusted me to sort of go with my vision. She didn't give me any sort of specific like 
I want it this color. I want it to look this way. She just said, I trust you do your thing. And so because her issue with it was that it was just very dark and very heavy looking, I wanted to brighten that up. So I thought, why not use like a perfect neutral? It's a classic. So I picked General Finishes Seagull Gray. I sprayed it on and then I just lightly distressed it just to sort of bring out some of those like uh, carvings and stuff on the front doors. And then those mm-hmm. barley twist lights just looked awesome. So she was very happy with it. And she had ended up sending me quite a few more pieces for her to do or for me to do. So I was just touched that she, you know, had entrusted this really old antique to me. And um, I'm shocked that actually she wanted me to paint it. You know, there's, there's Mm -hmm. always those antique theorists out there who, who just think paint should not be on furniture, but she, you know, wood is not always going to be in style. So I'm very happy that she had asked me to, to paint it for her. Yeah, and the wood the wood is still there, correct? I mean, you know, when you when you paint over a piece, I know a lot of times um folks that paint over are painting over, you know, wood that's been damaged so they're having to go through that repair process. But, you know, even when you take a beautiful piece that's been painted, again, um, the future always allows folks to go back and, and strip and and show show the wood grain. But I think what's neat too about this piece is that you you've also you you didn't paint the the top, so you left that. Uh, was that the original stain color? Did you strip it all the way down natural and then stain the top? Uh, I re I ended up restaining the top. Um, I have this rule about paint, painting pretty wood, and to me, I'm always a big fan of the two tone look. The, the mm-hmm. painted wood tops, the painted. Uh, I'm sorry, the stained wood tops and the painted base. That's always been a favorite look of mine. I just think it looks very um, classic and um i actually use a different sort of seal on the tops because i know that they get the majority of the wear Mm -hmm. so um i stripped down that top restained it and then sealed it with a uh, oil-based polyurethane Um, and i like using oil-based over wood because it ambers over time so it just makes the wood look a little bit richer Mm -hmm. what about the hardware on that piece is it original hardware or did you put new hardware on that is all the original hardware. Um, it's some of the hardware that comes on these antique pieces is just so cool. Like I, I have a piece waiting in my inventory now that just I can't, I could not find any replacements for it everywhere because it's so unique. But that piece in particular, she was very adamant at least about keeping the hardware, and I'm glad that she chose to keep that because it's just super cool. Yeah, it's really it's really unique hardware as well. I hope uh, folks, uh, listeners can go out and, and check these pieces out that we're talking about. Well, you finished another piece and it was a um, chest painted in a taupe color. And I know you left the top and the top doors unpainted on that piece. It made a really nice look. It you know, looked really balanced. Tell us about that process. Um, so that is um, a milk painted piece. Um, it's a cathedral taupe by Homestead House. And I actually kept this piece for a while. Um, it, 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 it's, it was one of my favorites because I love the color um, that was on there. It's just like this very calming, soothing gray. And um, the wood, like I said, it was very pretty wood and I didn't want to do anything to it. So I just gave it a coat of hemp oil, that in the top. And I just love the way that it paired with the gray on there. Um, and, you know, milk paint, it chips and, and distresses naturally. so. It was very easy for me to go with the idea of a lightly distressed piece and making the wood the feature of 
of the piece. So I was pleased with how it turned out and I kept it for a couple months until we moved here and I had no room for it. So I had to sell it. <laughs> well, this next piece, uh, you, I believe you mentioned was your favorite. Uh, I would assume that, uh, that that may change as you finish each piece. Truth be told, I bet you have several favorites. Anyway, this piece was an empire dresser painted in general finished antique white, I believe. Did you end up keeping this piece? Uh, was that uh, yes. always the plan? <laughs> I don't think I will ever be able to sell that piece. It's got such a special place in my heart. Uh, it's got everything that I love about furniture in one piece. It's empire style. Um, it's a chippy white. It's got the industrial cup pulls. And not to mention, or actually, let me mention that we rebuilt the top on this. Um, we we ended up taking uh, these really thick two by six planks and making a top out of them and just letting the wood grain pop um, with the stain. It just every time I look at it, it, it I get so happy. It's actually my husband's um, my husband's dresser, so mm. I'm always cleaning it and everything for him because he doesn't see as much beauty in it as I do. So, but I it's become my most popular piece on Pinterest. Um, I check out the notifications for how many pins it gets and it's just, it's awesome. I, I love this piece. And like I said, I don't think I will be able to sell it ever. No, I, I can understand why it really is a great piece. Yeah. I want to make sure we take time to discuss two furniture refinishing helps that I know many of our listeners will be interested in acquiring. One is what you call the ultimate uh, furniture refinishing guide. And the other is a step-by-step -step checklist. Are those two sold together? Yes. Um, I built them to sell together just um, as tools for people to use when they are refinishing their furniture. I designed the, the guide and the checklist to go hand in hand. As a beginner, when I first started out, I had so many questions about where to start, especially when it came to prep, because I just felt like the more I went into the rabbit hole of like Pinterest and YouTube, the more confused I got. Um, so I wanted to be able to create something that a new person to the refinishing world could be able to read and say, yep, I got that done or yes, I did this or nope, I need to go back and do that. So that's, that's sort of how I designed both the guide and the checklist to, to be used together. Mm -hmm. Well, I would personally say that this is for the beginner and experienced alike. Um, I'm, I'm sure you'd probably agree with that too, because, and in its thoroughness, um, you know, it's 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 a tremendous help for beginners, but it's also, I think, for even the experienced uh, refinisher, it provides a lot of checklists and details that I think they would find helpful too. If you would, why don't you just give us sort of a an overview of of the guide and the checklist, and and uh, just an idea of of what it what it involves and what it entails. So um, I am thankful for the military giving me a checklist mindset. There's always something to do with a checklist in the military. And I remember keeping tons of notebooks with all my processes and experiments and things like that. Basically everything that's in the checklist, I have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of that I was doing before. So the way that I laid this out is basically to start from step one. It gives you some of the tools that you're going to need, like orbital standards, you definitely need a shop back. Um, and some of the things that I like to use as far as like, um, obviously the zebra brushes, painter's tape, 
shellac for sure. Um, and then it goes into more detail as far as staging. The first page is laid out for, I guess, a business. Um, if you're looking to sell a piece of furniture and you have questions on how to keep track of your expenses, um, what you should be charging for, labor rates, things like that, that's what the first page is basically all about. Um, and I built the cost and pricing in there because I get a lot of questions from followers on what do you think I should price this at? Should I include paint? Should I include the cost of this? So it it basically lays it out for you. And it also gives you a formula for including um, the the cost of what you're paying yourself. Because I think a lot of painters, especially when they're starting out, forget to pay themselves. So mm -hmm. I wanted to, to sort of harp on that and make sure that you're calculating that in there. From there, it goes into prep and repairs. And it is the foundation to your furniture finish. So I feel like I spent a lot of time talking about prep and repairs in my guide because it is the worst part about furniture refinishing, but it's going to make or break your finish. So I go into detail on where to start from cleaning to, you know, how to strip all the way to replacing your hardware. And one thing that I do that I feel a lot of furniture refinishers either don't do or they choose not to do is I actually debug. I have the worst fear of bringing creepy crawlers into my home. So um, I include some information about um, treating your furniture with a, a debugging agent. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I just sort of break it down into like, you know, what sort of finish you're going to be working with. Are you going to be doing wood stain? Are you going to be doing paint? Is there a possibility of bleed through? So I tried to cover as much information in the prep uh, portion of my guide as possible, just because these are all questions that I get repeatedly. Um, people are always asking like, how can I fix this? Or how do I deal with that? So I sort of like laid out all five and a half, six years of my knowledge and experience and experiments into this furniture guide. So it's, to me, it seems a little bit long winded, but hey, you've got all the information that I have gotten over the last five years. So my wife and I actually sat down and looked at it. Um, she's an, an educator. And as we sat down and we're looking at it, we're like, wow, this is incredibly thorough. But it was also simplistic too. So it wasn't overwhelming. But it was it was just enough information to to help you through the process of refinishing and enough detailed information so that you don't, you know, leave your, you know, sit there and scratch your head wondering, well, how am I going to connect the dots on this? So you did a really good job on that. Um, one thing I want to do is kind of get back to um, pricing and talk about that a little more. Because we've actually had a lot of listeners that have reached out and said, you know, um, one of the topics I'd like to hear you guys discuss is is pricing furniture pieces effectively so they can make a profit. Let, let me ask you a question, Crystal, with your experience. What do you believe is the biggest mistake folks make when pricing their furniture? I think it's not um, paying themselves and undercharging. Hmm. I know a lot of people that just get into the habit of throwing a random number out there when it comes to their piece. They don't take into consideration either all of the hard work that they put into it um, or the cost of the materials, too. Um, I struggled with pricing a lot when I first started, and I just, you know, I needed to find a way to keep a better tracking system so that I was able to recoup all of the costs 
on top of being able to pay myself for the labor and still make a profit. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some furniture refinishers that like to negotiate with their clients. And, you know, maybe if they're selling like on Facebook marketplace, there's always the, the offers and the, the going back and forth. And so if that's, if that's something that you're going to do, which is okay, you need to be able to still recoup all of your costs and still end up leaving the deal happy. So I think that that's just the the biggest mistake is that people just don't take into consideration the costs and they end up undercharging and they don't make as much of a profit as they're hoping for. Are there any recommendations you would make in that formula based on living in areas where the cost of living is much higher? Do you feel like that formula is just a good foundation to kind of build off of? Um, Because I know that maybe if you're living in one region of the country, what you're able to get for a refinished piece may be, may be higher than in another area, unless you are, you know, selling nationwide and, and shipping, including shipping with, with, uh, with the pricing. Uh, I think so. I think it's a good, it's, I think it's a good starting point. I mean, in, in the retail industry, I think the, the markup standard is times four by four. So whatever your cost of goods is plus your labor, and then you multiply that by four. That's that's usually what people are selling their stuff for retail. With furniture, it's a little bit different because some of these costs are already so high and super significant. Um, so that's why I did the the um, times two instead of the times four. Um, the labor rate is really probably the only place that in in the formula that you can get away with adjusting. If you're really into like making repairs and checking that every single part of the piece of furniture is sturdy and you're buying nothing but high quality finishes and things like that, then I think that you're definitely going to want to be able to increase your labor rate to something that you're comfortable with. And I say this because every furniture refinisher is different. So how we go about prepping our pieces and applying our finishes is going to be different. Mm -hmm. Some people are more in depth. Some people are looking for the most quickest way to do things. So I would say figure out a, a good amount that you would want to pay yourself per hour. And don't undervalue yourself by saying, well, you know what, I'm just going to pay myself what the minimum wage rate is. Don't do that because furniture refinishing is way more complicated and way more labor intensive than a uh, minimum wage. So for me, myself, personally, I pay myself $25 an hour, which I think is fair to the customer for the amount of work that I'm doing. And so I think that if you're doing, if you're applying finishes that are more difficult to apply, say like a lacquer or oil-based finishes, things like that, you might want to pay yourself a little bit more because those things tend to add up in hours. You know, you're, you're spending a lot of time like buffing out finishes or whatever. But if you're just starting out, I think you need to, to pick a number that you're comfortable with and then start including that into what you're going to be pricing your, your um, formula on. So. Mm-hmm. Another thing to keep track of is logging your hours. Um, I have a clock in my garage. Well, actually, it's more of a timer. So anytime I'm out there working, I start the timer. If I'm done applying like a coat of finish, I stop the timer. So I don't charge my customer for watching paint dry. So I'm only out there if when I'm actually doing something, then I start my timer. 
Um, and then I just include that into my formula. If, you know, I think I even added like if you're if it's in like in a 30 minute difference, you know, you can round up or round down, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever's up to you. But I definitely think that the labor is probably the most important part because it's it's the one that's got the most variables in it. Um, but it's also what's going to um, determine what your profit is. You know, if you look at this formula and you look at all the different parts of what goes into actually selling a, a, a piece of refinished furniture, you also have to back all the way up to the beginning and, you know, falls back to what you paid for the piece. And that's why I know finding curbside pieces is so valuable because in most cases, uh, you're not paying anything for them. You're just going through the labor of picking it up and hauling it back to your to your studio. I'm just curious, what have you found to be the most, um, aside from cur curbside pickups, which you can't really predict, where's the one area that you find to be most effective at, at locating those pieces to refinish? Definitely thrift stores, at, at least for me personally. I would love to have the time to go yard sailing or at estate sales um, or even auctions, but I just don't have the time to do that. So usually when I find pieces, I'm already out running errands somewhere or I'm already having to do something. And I have these specific places that I go to. And I'm very lucky that uh, in my area, I have four thrift stores all on the same road. So wow. <laughs> it, it's like a two hour event for me where I just go from one to the other. But those have been where I get like the best pieces because they are just the leftovers from the estate sales and the garage sales. Well, searching for these furniture pieces is really 24-7, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean... You could do Craigslist or Marketplace, but I just feel like those are always iffy because you don't know who you're meeting or, you know, you get the no-shows and it's already difficult enough to try and sell something. Can you imagine trying to buy something? I don't know. It. I just feel more comfortable going to a store where they give me a price and say, this is what we want for it. And I can take it home that day. I don't, there's no negotiating. There's no meeting somebody in a weird place. It's just more comfortable for me. Well, Crystal, this has been so inspiring and informative. Why don't you provide the listeners with a way to contact you? I'm on all of these social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook. My handle is The Driftwood Home. I also have a website, um, which is thedriftwoodhome.com. And then also my Etsy, um, where my furniture guide is listed. It's a downloadable link and you get the furniture refinisher's guide as well as the refinisher's guide checklist and the staging checklist. So there's some information in my guide about staging and some mm. tips on how to edit your photos as well. So you can find me on Etsy. My shop name is The Driftwood Home, but uh, I'm probably easiest to contact through uh, Instagram or Facebook. Well, excellent. Thanks again for spending some time with us today, Crystal. No problem. I'm honored to be here. You have a great day. You too. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Zebra Blogs Before and After Furniture Finishing Podcast. Today's episode is also featured on the zebrablog.com along with contact information for today's guest. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome, and we encourage you to share those by clicking on the podcast slide in our header at the zebrablog.com. That's the zebra with an i.com. Thanks for listening and happy refinishing.